All right, James, uh, continuing uh, where, actually not even continuing where we left off last week. Uh, Pastor Mitchell last week did a great job of uh, kind of talking about how we here at Riverside, uh, how seriously we take this idea of treating everybody the same, uh, no matter what they look like, where they've been, what's happened, what, you know, what they've done, all of those things. And today, I'm going to actually be talking about the exact same passage of scripture that he did but coming at it from a little bit different of a perspective. You know, he showed you the video last week from Michael Jr. about figuring out why we do the things that we do, and then what we do to sort of uh, make the why happen. Those, those things are, are just strategies, right? But the why, that's what's truly important in our lives, is figuring out, okay, why am I doing this? James, in this passage of scripture, is going to tell us why we should be treating people or not treating people differently based on how they look, either treating them better because we like the way they look or treating them worse because we don't. Uh, and so I called today's lesson the God of the powerless, but I kind of wish I hadn't because actually that would be more like what we talk about next week. Uh, my lessons kind of get away from me sometimes. I sit down, I look at the passage of scripture, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to call it this because this seems to be what it's about. And then I end up going in a whole different direction. And so... Uh, uh, but God is the God of the powerless, and uh, you'll find throughout the Old Testament these uh, scriptures like this one here in Psalm 82, verses 3 through 4. God says, defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Basically, speak up for people that have no voice. Uh, God cares deeply about what happens to people in this world. And I don't know about you all think sometimes, well, then why doesn't God just fix it? Why doesn't he just make it so there aren't any poor, depressed, and uh, hungry, and, and weak, and sick? And we don't have time to get into all of the, the theological background of this whole thing. Um, the more I understand and study the story of Adam and Eve and the first sin in the garden, the more I study and understand the book of Job and uh, the kind of uh, cosmic battle that's taking place between good and evil, and it's, it's, it's actually the, the battleground is in the life of this man named Job. And the more I understand these things, the more I'm starting to kind of come to the understanding that God has sort of bound himself to a certain set of uh, rules of engagement, I guess you could call it. And he can't always step in and just fix things the way we would like him to fix them. And so what he does is he says to his people, I need you to care about these people as much as I do. You know, we wonder sometimes, why, why are there people starving in this earth? Did you know that this earth produces enough food for every human being on the planet to get 3,000 calories a day? But they don't. And it's not God's fault. It's, it's, you know, I mean, there's lots of different factors, right? I'm not trying to lay the blame on any one group or anything. And we can't fix everything but we can change the world of a few people if we really want to. And so, you know, it's, it's fascinating. You read through the law, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, the book of Numbers, even Deuteronomy. One thing that I was blown away by, um, and I, am, I continue to be, every time I read through that stuff, it's like, it is hard to get through. You know, usually people that are trying to read through the entire Bible, they get to Leviticus and it's like, they're done, right? It's like, and I, I, I understand, but... The more that I read through that, the more I start to see how much of that law is pointed towards 
making sure that, that the people that are likely to slip through the cracks and end up trampled upon don't get trampled upon. And yet, what you can see over the history of the world is God's people who are supposed to be doing this, they end up reading the book, but they kind of, it's almost like they didn't really understand it. Let's watch this. Is this the new Oshikuru Demon Samurai? Yeah. What are you doing with it? It's being turned into a Saturday morning cartoon, and they asked me to write the theme song. Awesome. Yeah? Want to hear what I got so far? Sure. So I'll be like the first guy in the world to hear this. Yep. Now, this is just a rough version, but you get an idea of the feel of it. Just unacceptable. The sick, the poor, the, 
the, the, the widows, the orphans, the demon-possessed, the incredibly sinful. These people who, who the religious leaders had said, you are too far gone. Jesus is saying, no, I see hope in your future if you follow me. And the religious leaders hated him for it. And the rest of the world loved him for it. And so we need to learn to become more like Jesus rather than everybody else. Um, and even once Jesus left this earth and, and, and said to his church, now you guys carry on my tradition of treating people the way that the law says that we're supposed to treat them. Even then, we have a hard time sometimes remembering. Um, and so the New Testament continues to trumpet and resound with this, with this message. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Look at what James says. James, this is chapter 1, verse 26, and then I'm going through for chapter 2, verse 1. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? And so what I want to do in the time that we've got left is spend a few minutes talking about, okay, so what... What is James saying? That's not, that's not nearly as complicated. And Mitchell did a great job and spent a lot of time last week saying this is what uh, we believe that James is saying here. But then I want to get to very quickly uh, and spend the most of my time on why. Why should we be treating people like this? And then next week we'll talk about, okay, so how? How do I treat these people that are likely to fall through the cracks, that, that have no voice, that are powerless? How can I, in my life, be a blessing to some of them? Okay, so first thing, when it comes to what James is saying, first thing is he's saying don't focus on the outside, right? I mean, that's pretty obvious. And that's, this is the point that Mitchell spent the entire week, you know, sermon on last week, just talking about let's not focus on what you can see on the outside. Don't treat people better just because they look like they've got it all together and don't treat them worse just because they look like they don't have it all together. Maybe they're like the complete opposite of having it all together, right? Um, in James chapter 2, 2 through 4, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but to the poor man you say, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, like I said, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this point. But I do want to point out that that phrase, evil thoughts, what it literally means is faulty judgment. In other words, wrong reasoning. It's not that they've, that they've made an evil judgment, although according to the law it would be. It would be an evil thing to do, right, in God's eyes. But more than that, it's just a wrong way of looking at life. You know, James isn't saying treat the rich badly because they're all bad and treat the poor well because they're all good. He doesn't say that. He says treat everybody well and don't treat anybody better than anyone else based on what you see on the outside. Otherwise, it is a wrong judgment. See, there is nothing worse in this world than judges who don't know what they're doing, right? And everybody, no matter which side of the political spectrum you're on, you think there are judges out there 
that disagree with your political point of view that are just making wrong judgments, right? And I'm not here to get into politics or tell you who's right and who's wrong. But I will say this. I think James is saying it doesn't take a black robe and a gavel to be a judge in this world. And there are a lot of people walking around making faulty judgments about other people based on what they can see on the outside. And James says, don't do it. And so what we do is we try to, we say, okay, well, well then I'm going to change. I'm going to do something different. <laughs> but a lot of times our something different uh, ends up being just um, mostly the same. Well, let's watch this. Hey, Jake. Jake, wake up. I want you to hear something. What? I've been working on the song. Good for you. Come on. Come listen to it. I'm sleeping. Sleep in school like everybody else. <laughs> I read the comic books cover to cover. I know the characters. I know their world. I think I got it. Listen. A teenage boy with a spirit inside. A samurai warrior long ago died. Now he's oh, 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 Shikuru, oh, 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 Shikuru, my, oh, my, he's a demon samurai. Who's the guy who had to die? Oh, Shikuru. Still blows. <laughs> yeah, well, you're still short. And that's why it's important when you decide, okay, you know what, I, I'm going to change. I'm going I'm to try to reach out to people uh, that, that God wants me to reach out to. I'm going to try to stop judging people based on what I can see on the outside. It's like you're, you're just as likely to fail with that kind of an attitude as you do with the other. Um, but God looks in our hearts, right? It's like you read through the Bible and... and the church I grew up in never told these stories, but there are, I mean, over and over and over again, you find these places, even in the Old Testament, where God cares more about why people do what they do than he does whether or not they get it exactly right. In fact, the Pharisees, Jesus says to them that they flawlessly observe the external requirements of the law but they are so far off from the heart of the law that they are worse off than if they hadn't been trying to do anything at all. Whereas the people that were trying and failing miserably, it's like God can work with that. God can, it's easier for him to guide people and direct them and, 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 and you know, kind of point them in the right direction when they are moving forward. Even if you're going in the wrong direction, easier for him to point you back in the right direction when you're moving somewhere than it is to get you started from, a, from a, a dead stop. And so don't be afraid to try things, even if you fail horribly, miserably. We are where we are here today at Riverside because of countless mistakes where it's like, and I mean, just must have been almost comical from heaven's perspective. You know, and I don't think that God is up there and he gets mad when we try to do something great for him and we fail. I think that God is like, that's awesome. Did you? It, sometimes we do things. I, I will see God going, hey, angels, come here. Look at these guys. You see what they're doing? I mean, yeah, they're doing it right, but oh my gosh, do you see their hearts? It's, that's what God cares about. He cares about your heart. And so don't judge from the outside. 
Don't focus on the outside. Instead, number two, focus on the inside. Now, like I said, it's just as possible to get it wrong when you are trying to make a, make a change in your life for God as it is to get it right. That's why God created the church. That's why he created us to live within community and for us to support one another, to hold each other accountable, to, uh, to tell each other, you know, cheer each other on when we're doing good, to, to, to kind of say, hey, maybe you might want to take a look at that again, and, and, you know, and we can kind of watch each other. And so that's what Jake does in this uh, episode of Two and a Half Men, uh, or what Charlie does. He doesn't know the characters of the Soshikuru book, right? So he gets somebody who does to help him write the song. Let's watch this. I write the songs that make the things are bound to go wrong sometimes, right? They're also bound to go beautifully right sometimes. And so, um, so James, in this part of his letter, shares with us the why, and really the how, but, but more than that, the why behind what he is asking us to do. And whether we're talking about back in chapter one, how to handle suffering and and tough times and painful situations when they come into our lives, or how to handle temptation when it comes into our lives, or here, how to deal with people and not treat them differently, even though it's an incredibly natural and human thing to do, how not to do that. Here's why James says not to do that. In James chapter 2, verse 1, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Now, I know it's like, you look at that, you're like, I don't see the why there. And I didn't either for many, many years. Actually, it wasn't until this week, as I was studying this particular passage of Scripture to get ready for this week's lesson. And uh, what I did is I kind of went back and I looked at what this was, what, 
how it was literally written in the original language. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, and I'm not trying to impress anybody with my knowledge and my intellect, but I can Google things as easily as the next person, right? And there's this thing called an interlinear Bible on, on, online. Just type that in. And what it does is it shows you, and I can read Greek. You know, I can sound it out. I, I don't I've forgotten more than I, than I remember. But I can read it out, and I can look at it. And what the interlinear Bible does is it puts word for word, it puts the Greek, what, what James actually wrote, and then underneath that, it puts word for word the, uh, the, the English words that would go with that, uh, with that verse. Now, the English translators, they try to make it flow in English grammar and syntax, right? This is what they came up with in this verse. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Literally, word for word, what James says is, is this. Not with partiality of any kind must you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the glory. That's James's, that, 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 that's literally what he says. Now, it's kind of weird to say that in English, right? We look at that and we're like, okay, that doesn't really flow. But it's really interesting to me, that last two words, that Jesus Christ is the glory. Now, that may not mean much to us, but to a Jewish person in the first century, that, that phrase was everything. The glory was the representation of the presence of God on this earth. And you go back into the Old Testament, and uh, especially in Exodus and Numbers, there's uh, God's presence is manifested or shown through this what's called the glory cloud. And it would go before uh, the people of Israel, and by day the cloud was this sort of uh, translucent, uh, smoky cloud, but by night it looked like a pillar of fire. And God is constantly telling people, it's like, it's like his presence is manifested that way because it's like him saying, don't get too close, right? Don't bump into me, because, because back then his presence was such that human beings couldn't experience the unfiltered glory of God without actually dying. Uh, Moses at one point asks God, show me your glory. I want to see your, I want to see you face to face. And God says, Moses, you couldn't handle it. And so what he does instead is he puts Moses in a cave. He covers the cave with his hand and he passes by. And then after he's gone, he pulls his hand away and Moses kind of sees from behind, he sees God's glory. And it, it's, it's so glorious that when he goes back down the mountain, his face is literally shining. The people are terrified. And so Moses has to kind of wear a veil over his face to keep from... That, that's what the glory does. Um, when the people come to Sinai to be given the law, the glory cloud comes down upon the mountain. And there's smoke, and there's lightning, and there's thunder. And, and God tells Moses to tell people, don't get too close to the mountain. All right, because you won't be able to, to withstand it. Now, why is that? Well, it's because any time that an object or a person of great glory comes across an object or a person of lesser glory, the, the greater glory always overwhelms the lesser glory. It's what happens with the rich and the poor, right? The rich person comes in displaying his glory by what, he, what, what you can see on the outside. The poor person comes in displaying his lack of glory based on what you can see outside, uh, from the outside. And, and, and 
with human beings, James is saying, don't do that. Even though it's what sort of naturally happens with God's people, he says, we can't let what naturally happens just naturally happen. You have to think about what you're doing, and you have to treat people the way that Jesus did. I'll give you an example of what this looks like. When Judy and me moved into our house uh, out here in Eaglewood years ago, we bought a brand new dining room table and uh, these dining room chairs. Uh, and instead of having just, uh, well, they had wheels on the bottom of them, you know, so that you could roll across the hardwood floors instead of uh, dragging the, the, the legs of the chair and scratching up the floor. So I thought that was pretty cool and we really liked the chairs. But over the years, the chairs have become less and less glorious, right? They become more and more rickety, especially the ones that I sit in. I don't know why that would be true, but the ones that Judy and Jonathan sat in, they're still just fine. But the ones on my side of the table, they're, they're, you know, they're creaking a little bit until about a month ago, I sat in one of those chairs and my glory overwhelmed the glory <laughs> of the chairs, right? Now, it just cracked, right? And I knew it was breaking, and so I got up. There wasn't you know, <laughs> falling on the ground, which I know is what you're thinking, and you're probably bummed now that I took that whole picture out of, it, out of your mind. But, but that's what happens when an object of greater glory comes in contact with an object of lesser glory. And what James is saying is, you don't do that with each other because of Jesus Christ, who is the glory. See, in the Old Testament, the glory was represented. His presence was represented by this cloud, right? But when he comes to this earth, his presence is represented in the person of his son. And suddenly, that presence is no longer unapproachable. In fact, John, in John chapter 1, he says... We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. Not only have they seen it, if you go over to John's letter, 1 John chapter 1, John says, we saw him, we, we heard him, we touched him, we, we even ate with him. And that's what happens in the person of Jesus, is, is the glory becomes approachable. But not only approachable, the glory becomes something that if you let it, will inhabit you. In... 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, the Apostle Paul says, God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. And we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. See, what Paul is saying is, Every single one of you has the potential, has the opportunity to, to become the indwelling home of the glory of God. In the Old Testament, when they dedicate the tabernacle, while they're still wandering in the desert, the, the dwelling place of God in their camp, when they're dedicating it, the glory of God comes down, the cloud surrounds the tent, and the glory of God fills the tent such that Moses can't go in there anymore. When Solomon builds a temple for God, his dwelling place on earth, the, and they're dedicating it, the glory of God comes down, it envelops the temple, it fills the temple, the priests can't go in, and not only that, anybody that's standing around, they can't even stand anymore, they all fall to the ground. The, the glory was so overwhelming. But through Jesus now, 
you can become the tabernacle or the, the temple of God and the, the glory will dwell within you. And when you look at people, you can't tell from the outside what kind of glory they have going on inside. And that's what Paul says. That's what Peter and John and James says. It's what Jesus was saying over and over and over. You can't tell by looking at another human being what is going on inside of them. So don't treat people differently based on what you can see on the outside. There's, in the 1940s, there was a shepherd boy who was uh, watching his sheep on the banks of a uh, lake in southern Israel. And on the northern part of this lake, there's this, these cliffs that have all these caves in them, natural caves, hundreds of caves. And if you lose a sheep, Oftentimes what happens is the sheep has gone up into one of those caves to rest in the cool of the dark instead of out in the, the heat of the day. And so what a shepherd would do is they would pick up a rock and, you know, they didn't have time to check every, every cave. It would take all day. So they would throw a rock up into the cave and you'd hear it ricocheting around in there. And if that's all you heard was a rock ricocheting around, well, then you know that there's not a, a sheep in there, a lamb in there. But if you hear a bah, right, when you throw the rock in there, well, then you know that's the one I've got to go to to get that, to get my sheep. This shepherd boy throws a rock up into one of those caves one day, and he hears something break. So he climbs up into that cave, curious to see what it is, and he finds these clay pots, ancient clay pots. And he is so excited because he knows how valuable these clay pots can be. The ones that he's already broken, right? There are a couple that he's broken, and amongst the shards and the rubble of these pots, he finds these kind of corroded, green, nasty pieces of copper. And he just kind of tosses those to the side, and he starts to notice that all of the pots have these, these, gray, these corroded pieces of copper inside them. But he's so excited about the pots, he doesn't even, he doesn't even think about these pieces of copper other than the other. Right, you know, and so he runs to where he knows there are some archaeologists. He gets them, he brings them back, and shows them the clay pots. But the archaeologists could care less about the pots, they are blown away by these green, corroded pieces of copper. Because what the boy had found was the storage place for what are now called the Dead Sea Scrolls, the most amazing, important archaeological find of the 20th century. I don't think anybody would argue about that. And what happens with that boy is what happens with us. We become so enamored with these clay jars, right? Paul wrote this thousands of years before that boy ever found those clay pots. But that's what he's saying. Don't get so caught up in this clay jar that's on the outside that you miss the treasure that either is or could be within those clay jars. And that's what James is saying here, I think. That's why we, we can't treat people differently based on what we see on the outside because of what is, is or could be going on inside of them. The glory of God. The glory dwelling within us. And when we understand that and we treat people the way that Jesus did, it changes everything. Now I'm going to give you the last fill in the blank. We're not going to talk about I'm not going to read the scriptures that go along with it, but I know that there are some fill-in-the-blank junkies out there that will be shaking as you walk out because you don't have this one. And so the third thing that James is saying is the way that we go about doing this is through love, right? Love, love, love. And we will. this is what next week's lesson is going to be all about. How do we love people the way that Jesus did? 
Um, but before we go, real quickly, I want to show you one more thing. Hey, John!